Hello and welcome to Alone Upfront, the podcast for teachers doing it by themselves. Hello everybody, this is Steve Mortimer from Berlin. With me is Chris Mortimer. What's up, Chris? Teachers are doing it by themselves. Sorry, that just came into my head, Steve. I'm doing absolutely great. Maybe we could incorporate that as a little jingle. I think the, the jingle the jingle making is already done. Wonderful. This is the <laughs> podcast for anybody who works in a teaching context but is not a teacher per se. So we're not talking about people that work in schools, um, although, you know, if you're listening, then brilliant stay with us but more people who fall into teaching find themselves teaching doing it as a little side gig uh and maybe don't have the support have all the stuff that the proper teachers as it were have access to and uh, the idea is we give you some help and some ideas to uh to figure it out so this week we're going to talk about the way teaching interfaces with other aspects of your life mm. uh, the thinking is this if you're a teacher working alone up front then there's a good chance that's not the only thing you're doing. You're probably not a career educator, because if you were, then you'd be working in a more of a, a sort of organizational context. So probably you spend a portion of your time teaching, but you also earn money doing other things, or maybe you have a main job and your teaching is just a, a side gig, a side hustle. And that brings it into conflict, your teaching commitments, with the rest of your life. And anyway, all teachers don't spend 24-7 teaching, thank goodness. We all have a life outside of teaching. And me and Chris both do other things at the same time. So we're going to talk about what it means, um, how it affects the other aspects of your life, and most importantly, I suppose, how you can uh, you, um, glean benefits from your teaching, which will then impact positively mm. on other areas of your life. Chris... Does this sound like something uh, you could you could talk about? Is this something that you that occupies Absolutely. you? Absolutely, <laughs> it's directly relevant to me. I mean, my first, in fact, my second teaching job over in Japan, which was spoken about uh, a couple of times on the podcast. Um, so that was my first real job, straight out of uni into that job, and I was always thinking about that job in terms of how can it move me on to something else really, mm. and move me on to a job in business. I mean, the aim really was, because um, I was teaching up in northern Japan, but the, the aim was to get to the bright lights of Tokyo somehow mm. and hopefully, um, you know, not actually, actually not doing teaching, which sounds a bit strange considering we're on a teaching podcast. But certainly my first job, I was looking at teaching as a stepping stone to yep. probably to something in business. And mm. I was certainly thinking about, you know, maximizing the skills and then being able to portray them in a certain way to mm. a, to a potential employer. So you were looking for the stepping stone potential of, of being a teacher. And I did the same thing when I first started, came to Germany. And um, what do you do when you come to a foreign country and you need to pay the mm. rent? You do a bit of English teaching. It's, it's, the, it's the quickest thing to find. But I also intended to do that on the side and then find a job in yeah, in, in business, in the in the private sector in some way, shape or form. Now, our lives have diverged a little bit. I ended up becoming a career educator, did uh, teacher training back in the UK, became a teacher in a school in London, and then returned to Berlin a few years later. And now I work in a university, but it is my full-time job, although I have a few other bits and bobs going on. Chris, you've actually fulfilled your ambition, really. I mean, you do work in business now, but you still do a bit of teaching. It forms part of your 
the composition of your overall yeah. career, as it were. Correct. So, correct. If you if you if you look back to the 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 younger Chris in Japan, mm. um, do you think he would have been um, happy with with where you've ended up, or or what would what, mm. how do you feel about where you've ended up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, reasonably happy. Um, I suppose. Um, I suppose what when I mean, and maybe we could kick off on this point, but um, people see that, for example, I'm doing I'm doing some teaching. I teach about one day a week at university here uh, in the mm. UK, mm. and people tend to view that as a as a kind of means I have a kind of portfolio career, and and it's what you just said, really, Steve. You know, you do a bit of teaching alongside, mm. but these days. Increasingly these days, you know, because of technology like the technology we're using now on YouTube, mm. teaching doesn't need to be on the side. It can be a core activity for your business or your activities as um, as a freelancer. And for example, I'm doing my company does uh, spreadsheet development, so helping people with Excel. And the teaching I'm doing, I'm teaching people how to use Excel, teach people how to manage Excel projects. So it's not something that's bolted on that where there's, you know, a bundle of additional unrelated activities. It's something that's really very central to my little my, my, my little business model and it synergizes very nicely um, with with my project work. So this is obviously an ideal scenario. If you can if you can figure things out so that you're teaching, you end up teaching the thing that you do anyway. Mm. Um, that means that you get massive cross pollination. You have automatically author automatic authority um, in the learning space because it's what you do. Especially if you've got YouTube videos and whatnot, so you can show your students oh, there I am. So that helps. And of course, the process of explaining and facilitating progress. And your learners makes you a better practitioner at whatever mm. it is you do on the side. So this is, Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've mentioned before on the podcast, this is this is a massive win-win. The question is, how do you get there? Mm. Did you <laughs> uh, begin with the teaching, find you were teaching spreadsheets and then end up running a spreadsheet consultancy? Or did you get into spreadsheets and then somehow search the UK's university until you found yeah. a university <laughs> that needed you to teach spreadsheets? How did you make that work? Oh, well, that's, that's a good question. And... Um, it wasn't a kind of linear path. It wasn't straightforward and it will be different for other people uh, trying to do this kind of thing. But I'd say, yeah, I mean, back in 20, this would have been 2010, 2011, when, well, I came back from Japan in 2009, did a master's and then tried to get my own little business started, which is what, which is what I have now. Now, um, I don't want to go, I think the, the precise details might be a bit boring, but I'll, I'll just say that the, what made it all work was just uh, trying to help people. That's that's really the thing, the kind of thing that that, that binds it all together. And um, for example, when we started YouTube, I mean, YouTube is a little bit of an earner for me. And just as, as an aside, I would say everybody, if you're a teacher, you should be doing YouTube. But mm. we didn't start YouTube as, you know, because Steve and I started the YouTube channel with uh, by filming about 20 videos over in Berlin. Now, yeah. I didn't start YouTube because um, I saw it as uh, an income stream. I think when we started, it wasn't possible to monetize no. YouTube you, anyway. you couldn't monetize by then, yeah. yeah. But it started through, try, like, genuinely. It sounds kind of warm and, warm and fluffy, but mm. I, I wanted to help as many people as possible. Mm. And whether that was through teaching, through projects, 
or through online video. Mm. Um, the thing that bound it together was was having this kind of vision, if you like. Again, sorry for all the warm and fluffy words, mm. but having this vision that people should be using Excel better, and um, you know, just by learning a few things, it can make everything so much better with with Excel. And I wanted to get that message out there in person on my projects, in my teaching and through online video. So it was, it was a question of how many media can I get this message uh, out on? It, it was just a question of helping as many people as possible. I mean, it's all worked out nicely for me, but I, I didn't have the strategic you know, foresight to see how it would all piece together. Well, it's a testament to the inherent value of being able to facilitate learning. And this is perhaps a little bit underrated by people. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a specific skill and you can make something or you can do something and that creates value for other people, then that's wonderful. But if you can, if your skill is getting those people able to generate their own value by teaching them, by enabling their own um, capacities to produce and create, then that's you're offering an exponential kind of benefit. Totally. And I mean, anybody that is teaching in any form um and just sees it as a little side thing and they have a different career um where they do something completely different maybe they should think about doing something like a youtube channel or at least mm. looking at the way they teach and thinking about how they can how the, the inherent intrinsic value that the, that can offer and the good thing is with the media channels open to us today especially youtube but generally the internet you can just put stuff out there that's like exactly what we're doing with this podcast. It's um, it's not so much like oh, there's a there's a an audience baying for material um that we need to serve. <laughs> we don't know if anyone's going to listen to this. A few people are listening to it, which is wonderful. But mm. um, it's it's not a great trial to do it. We've had we have the knowledge is there in our heads. All, all it requires is a degree of um discipline and organisation to get it done. So your teaching, whatever it is. It must have value because people are paying you to do it in one mm. way or another, in one form or another. So it's absolutely within your power and within your right to think about how you can disseminate that in a, in a broader totally. context. Totally. So and that's one that's one tip we can certainly say. Are you <clears throat> leveraging your teaching and putting it out there on, a, on some kind of media channel and mm. not worrying so much about, oh, you know, people aren't going to watch it. Well, who cares if no, if no one watches it? It doesn't matter. Um, but there's always a chance somebody can watch it. Exactly. I think people will, there's a good number of people out there who will have a reluctance about doing this also because they think they should be paid for sharing their, sharing mm. their expertise. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, a lot of people out there will be thinking that. And I could understand that, that reservation, you know, particularly if you're, um you know you're not earning millions you know and let's be honest a lot of teachers in tefl mm. tefl context you know me and you have been there are not earning millions mm. um but you know the rewards if you can get over that reluctance you know appreciate that knowledge really is commoditized these days um mm. there's very few people who have you know unique knowledge and they're you know they're the unique source the only source for that knowledge um, right. So if, if they're not going to get it from you, um, they're going to get it from somebody else anyway. So 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 get it out there. And as Steve Steve is saying, um, everything you need to get it out there is there. And there's very uh, easy to use technology, some of which we're using now, that that can allow you to do it. So 
you know, that would be our recommendation, I think. I've, I've been meaning to do a YouTube video called Best Time to Be a Teacher, because I think this is the best time to be a teacher. I mean, in the UK, teaching has kind of, it's, it's been a tough time. And, and Steve, we should talk sometime about your experience actually being a full-time teacher in the UK. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it just mm. wasn't satisfying enough for whatever reason mm. to um, to keep you in the profession. And mm. I think in the 90s, 80s, 90s, and in possibly in the noughties as well, kind of the status of teaching poss possibly dropped a bit or mm. um, it was underpaid. And there's been mm. a big move towards business and entrepreneurship in, in, in the UK anyway, which, which is something else. But I think now things are changing and... It's just a great time to be a teacher because you can get all your stuff out there for free. And if you do it consistently, then people will definitely um, catch on to it. You can build a little audience and then yep. you're, you're moving to a situation where you don't have to work for anybody. You know, maybe you can work for yourself. Maybe you can service your audience in some way um, and monetize that. But we should say it does take a lot of effort up front. You know, our little podcast, you know, we were saying we've put six or seven of these out. We've put you know, uh, 20 or 30 hours each into it. And we've got what, 50, mm. 50 downloads. Mm. Mm. But we know we've, we've been in this game for what, eight years uh, with mm. YouTube, you know, mm. we, we know the journey. We know that it's going to be a very, very, very slow start. But when you gain momentum, it's a mm. high, it's a high inertia thing. It's, uh, it's not going to mm. stop either when you yeah. gain the momentum. So it's, it's absolutely worth putting some content out there. Yeah. So that's really the first lesson. Think about the value of what you do, what you offer as, a, as an educator, whatever context it's in, and think about whether you can you can use that in, in the broader context as well. There's no, I mean, there's no reason why you shouldn't. You're not like copyrighted to only teach in a certain way in a certain place. Um, and if you can extrapolate out um, the value and put it out there in some other way, then then go for it. Of course, unfortunately, teaching is not purely does not contribute purely positive things to the rest of your life there's also a, it's a particular kind of stress and strain and burden that you have to shoulder as a teacher and we should also for every sort of positive thing we should maybe acknowledge a, a negative thing um i find for me it's often quite easy and quite tangible to list the the drawbacks of teaching or the, the the negative impact it has on others in life and the positive impact is 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 there but more intangible mm. and we've already mentioned one kind of intangible benefit the idea that you can you can leverage value but one drawback and i don't know how what you think about this what do you think about the 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 precise nature of the time and location of teaching in that <laughs> If you're teaching on Wednesday at 10.30, you've got to be there at Wednesday at 10.30. And it is an immovable um, fact that your learners are going to be there waiting for you. I find mm. that this means mm. that my whole week um, kind of uh, hinges on then these certain times mm. and other things, which may be very important, but don't have that physical and time component, which is absolutely immovable. They... <laughs> inevitably get a little bit neglected um mm. and it's difficult to balance that out what do you think interesting yeah i mean it's not like like we could rearrange a meeting with somebody couldn't we or even in with exactly. multiple people yeah. uh, we can't do that with students although maybe that's coming um mm. yeah it's not something i i suppose for me because um i teach you know i 
yeah, through the year, I have about 20 teaching days. So I really, I really am a part-timer here. Uh, For Mm. me, I think I actually quite appreciate the, um, the stability of it and the kind of reliability of it, you know, because um, a meeting with a customer could fall fall through at the last minute, Mm. uh, could be rearranged. I suppose I actually appreciate, you know, I I just block out that time. And um, I I think I do actually appreciate the kind of predictability. The structure um, it lends to your week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I saw I I go back and forth. So I mean, so so you're teaching um one day a week during the semester. Um, I by contrast teach about nineteen or twenty hours each week. So we're talking three and a half full full days. And I think for most teachers working full time, um, eighteen, nineteen, twenty hours um is about what you'll be expected to do. If you're doing massively more than that, then you're that's that quite a heavy workload. Um, and for me, the problem is that, um, yeah, I, I cannot, when, when the lesson is bearing down and I have to do it, then answering emails or doing other things becomes, it simply becomes impossible. Mm. Um, and if you have, I have say Tuesday teaching 9.45 till five, Wednesday teaching 9.45 till five, Thursday teaching 9.45 till one. Um, and to be honest, it's very difficult in that time to mm. really address anything else. Sure. Important inquiries mm. coming in, emails I've got to do, people that need to have conversations. Because um, I can only really offer, when you're in front of your students, the fact is they are physical people physically in front of you. And if mm. there's somebody clamoring for something via email, <laughs> they're not there. They're somewhere else. Whereas I've got 24 or 30 people in front of me. And I think that it's it's really hard to then to then be able to be in the headspace to respond to other things. But that's what teachers working up front have to do. Now, if you're a career educator and you work in, a, in an organization and you only generally interact with other people in, in a similar organization or in the same one, then it's fine because they all understand what well, the person's teaching. Oh, I'll check her timetable. Look, she teaches these three days. Well, don't expect an answer until Friday. Mm. But teachers working alone up front, they don't have that luxury. Exactly. So they've got people like, man, I emailed him like yesterday morning and he hasn't replied, but he's been teaching the whole time. Um, managing the expectations with other people in other areas is tough Absolutely. because they, they don't know what it's like, as it were. And yeah. you can get into this kind of self, um, um, what do you like, 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 like pity, a self pity sort of thing, where where we really feel that nobody else understands it's so very difficult, and that can make it quite quite isolating. Mm. I think that's something that mm. I've noticed. Is, is that is that something nice. you can relate to, or do you think that's more the the kind of full timer? issue well probably it it probably is but um it taps into one of the themes that we've been um we've been talking about in the past two or three pods which is you know can you teach in a way that leaves you 15 percent energy at the end of the day yeah to answer you know to answer a few emails and this is something i've been really focusing on in the past couple of years um i think you know we're we're from a teaching family our, our parents are teachers and mm. um i think my approach initially was to just leave it all out there in yeah. the teaching session you should yeah. be you should be exhausted at the end you should be using every ounce of energy to create value for the learners but now i have a more uh, pragmatic but also more effective approach to the mm. teaching mm. um that kind of sidelines me a bit means i'm not at the center of the learning and I leave more of it to the learners, which means the teaching's actually better, and you can mm. 
listen to the previous pods where we've discussed this mm. because mm. because the teacher's not at the center of it the learners are at the center of it and mm. it also means that i have just the 10 percent energy at the, at the end of the day you know before i get in the car a couple of phone calls um get the laptop out and cover a few cover a few emails as well um but having said that, I I'll just go full I'll just go full out of office on yeah. on teaching days and and I suppose you do the same, Steve. You know, um, where, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday out of office. Mm. Mm. Well, I think yeah. I mean, this is an incredibly salient point that you're making. Um, we do ourselves no favors as teachers by buying into this. Um, messianic kind of mm. self-sacrificing exactly. myth that we go in there and we give it give it all for our learners and, and then we're left broken but but they've learned so much <laughs> yeah because that, that's all great mate but what happens the following day when you've also got to teach exactly. and what about those learners <laughs> you mm. don't it's really a myth i mean we can explore it on other podcasts but but we both grew up with our parents being tired <laughs> all the time. And I and I remember growing up thinking that um, if anybody who wasn't at the coalface, as it were, this is the metaphor that was always used, at least in, in English in the UK, at the coalface, so working with the kids, making the learning happen. And if that didn't leave you tired and worn out, then you mm. weren't sort of doing it properly. Exactly. And if you, and if you woe betide took maybe a, a promotion which took you a little bit out of the classroom and you weren't in there, you know, getting knackered, then it somehow wasn't authentic and wasn't real. And I carried that perception of what it is to be a proper teacher with me for, for, for many years. Mm. And, um, and I think that there's a positive side to that, which is that you um, relish and and really commit to the time you spend with your learners. Sure. Yeah. But the need, like you said, it needs to be balanced with um, uh, a sustainability aspect, so that mm. you can do it week in, week out. And if you don't do that, if you throw yourself into it, then you will. If you throw yourself into it too much, then you will suffer later. Well, it may be that week, maybe a month, maybe only years later. Mm. But then the learners that would have benefited it from you doing it on a longer term, that they will then stand to lose out. So somebody will, if you if you can't make it sustainable, then somebody's going to lose out somewhere. Yeah. And 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 just to conclude this little section, what you said, Chris, it's ultimately it's not about you as the teacher. Mm. Um, it's difficult to to let to to really understand and grasp that, but. If you can make learner-focused um, lessons and sessions, so you really the learners are driving it, then they do actually learn more. They get more out of it. Totally. It puts less strain on you, and you can, <laughs> and 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 and, it, and it's sustainable. And as we said last week, uh, if you can kind of get better as a teacher, it often means it actually gets easier. It's yep. the very opposite of, of of sort of some sports where you have to work harder to keep getting gains. So, yep. but it comes with that sense sense of guilt, doesn't it? If you're, yeah. if you're from, because, you know, I think, you know, I don't want to descend you know, into kind of stereotypes or anything, but I think mm. a bis somebody, a business minded person, you know, a more kind of material, a, a career type person mm. would find that quite easy. You know? Yeah. I just, I just turned down my effort. I'm still going to get, I'm still going to get paid the same. But as you said, if, if you've got this kind of psychological baggage or you could you could call it you know excellent motivation depend, depending on mm. your perspective you know yeah, to, yeah. to put everything in just like your mm. parents did just mm. like your mm. friends are doing just mm. like your uh, university lecturers did if you come with this perspective 
then, well, the first step is to, you know, have the self-awareness to kind of acknowledge that so yeah. that so so that you can start dealing with it. And I invite everybody to have this kind of penny drops moment in the classroom. Try to have a low a low involvement teaching session. Yeah. And, you know, just say this session, I'm not going to go all in, but I am going to I am going to have some great materials and great activities based mm. on ideas we've given you. Mm. I'm going to have great materials, great activities that mean I can physically and, you know, um, figuratively move off to the side mm. and let the learners get onto it and have this penny drops moment where you're like, hang on, I'm not exhausted. I'm not that mm. involved. I don't have massive cognitive load. Mm. I'm not running around the classroom. <laughs> I'm not doing the, guys, there's one more thing I forgot to tell you. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not doing any of those things. I'm relaxed and and the learning is better. And I I can remember when I had this moment, and I'm sure you've had it, Steve. And yeah. I think we invite, there must be people listening who are feeling stressed out by teaching. We've all been there and we'll be there again. But try to be deliberate about it and, and set things up so you can have this kind of penny drops moment. The listeners can't see this or hear it, but I'm nodding furiously through everything uh, that Chris has just said. And and this is the thing. If you go into teaching, even if it's alone up front, even if you find yourself doing it, it wasn't really the plan. You are motivated by uh, a sincere ability to, to make somebody's life better. Um, you're not doing it purely to make money there must be other ways you can make money you think um that you can improve the things like you said chris at the, at the start you can you can help people and that will set you on a course of you being the savior and the helper and that's completely understandable and what we're and so that will always be be there but what we're talking about is then um evolving that self-perception so that you can see not yourself as not yourself as the conduit of the learning it doesn't have to come through you it can happen on its own you merely facilitate it mm. And it means, on the one hand, uh, um, it means letting go of that of that central motivation that may have brought you there in mm -hmm. the first place, which exactly. is difficult because there's nothing wrong with wanting to help and there's nothing wrong mm -hmm. with being the person that wants to do that. Um, but it will wear you out if you make mm -hmm. it purely going through you as the conduit of this, of this learning. You need to be able to let go metaphorically and step to the side physically and then understand that it can happen without you um but it doesn't mean that you're not necessary you mm. made it happen you created the conditions the framework the context in which that learning could happen it's all down to you and no one can take that away from you and just because you're not standing there talking and, and saying it's just happening and you're and you've taken a step back wonderful because it means you can do it week on week and month and mm. and really make it into something which brings you long long-term value and joy in your life i'll tell you what this is um just to actually end this section we talked about how this would interface directly with other parts of our lives you've mentioned chris that your your youtube work um with spreadsheets one of my little side hustles is playing music uh being in a band and um, the band, if anyone's interested, is called Three Penny Dreams. There's an album out on iTunes called Asymmetric Love. Berlin-based pop dance type them. Maybe you like it. But um, one of the things that we as the band realise, and it connects to this, is that if you're in the band, it doesn't mean you have to play on every single song. Mm. So you don't have to have your guitar solo or your synth bill or your drums. You can contribute to a song and an album without actually playing 
Um, but that song would not have happened if you weren't there in the room, in the studio, being part of the process, even if you're not actually on it. And mm. um, this is something I remember reading in a, 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 an interview with Radiohead, the band Radiohead, when they talked about moving to their kind of, they had a stylistic shift when they moved to uh, Kid A, Insomniac, those albums. And one of them said, you know, it's about understanding that you don't have to play on a track to contribute to that track. Mm. And this is something mm. that maybe we can we can learn to expand to other aspects of our lives. Um, you you need to take yourself out of the equation sometimes. Mm. Have the the humility to be prepared to let something happen without your direct involvement, um, but then still reap the benefits and understand that you you were part of it. And that's that's that connects with mu music making in in my case. And um, in your case, Chris, I don't know, maybe with something else. Is, is it worth mentioning uh, your sporting endeavors at some stage? And um, connect to that. Chris, I, I am a musician in my spare time. Chris is um, keen cricketer, player mm. of basketball, generally a fit person. Um, mm. Do you see any connections to your to those hobbies and and the work you do uh, teaching spreadsheet development? I'd say, um, yeah. I mean, if you've um, if you've learned sport when you're younger, but also if you've learned music. Or mm. if you've learned anything, and this this is why it's so important, I think, for people to have, a, if not a broad range of interests, then for people to have an interest outside of work. Then mm. if you've done if you've done sport, then you're used to being coached, and mm. you from from very young, you have a sense of how to of how to learn things, and you can bring that through. You can bring that through in in your teaching. And uh, mm. I'm sure lots of my students are tired of me using uh, sporting cliche cliches, <laughs> such as such as the main one is uh, well, one of the ones is control control the controllables, which mm. is what sportsmen always say. You know, if you just pay attention to the things that you can control, particularly in an assessment situation, I always have this student this conversation with students when you're pre preparing for an exam, just control control the controllables you know pay attention to the things you can control i.e mm. um eg revising topics and stuff mm. you know and don't worry about the ordering of the questions on the paper uh you know don't worry about the specific focus of the uh, systems modeling question whatever it might be just focus on the things that are within your control and but we could apply that to teaching as well can't mm. we you know mm. if you set up plan a great group activity mm. Uh, and support it with some video resources you're going to have a decent lesson and you're not going to feel tired um at the end of it so i certainly feel there's there's some things we can we, we can take from sport but could i throw one more thing in here yeah, yeah sure. which i think which i think we we might have covered later anyway but uh one thing i do with cricket is uh i'm involved on the organizational side of my cricket mm. club mm. and um there's there's a few events we have each year um and there's lots of occasions where people need to do kind of what you'd call public speaking. So you have to address 50 people uh, yeah, or maybe yeah. 150 people, mm. or you have to, you have to run a, run a committee meeting. You know, we have a committee mm. of 15, 20 people. And mm. um, one thing I've noticed is I never found these things uh, overwhelming. You know, I was, yeah. I was a little bit nervous about these things, but there's mm. people in the mm. club who really dreaded doing these things. You know, they're like, no, no, I'm not, there's, there's no way I'm doing that. You know, they were generally, mm scared of doing these things and mm, as mm. a teacher it gives us a big advantage in public speaking you know, yeah 
a lesson yeah. is like it's like a PowerPoint presentation, but it's more than that. It's an exercise in salesmanship, a lesson, because <laughs> you're mm. selling an idea to yeah. a, a very um, uh, sceptical and yes, kind of shrewd, shrewd who've been doing this yeah. for 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know. And um, I just think people, and that's why people should do be do, doing YouTube content as well, because you've got a massive advantage over most people who are trying to do YouTube content because you know how to structure a session and you can mm. speak properly. You can speak with good pacing. You can speak clearly. And then, you know, at, at the meta level, you can, you know how to weave ideas together and different themes together. Mm. Um, so I think that's, that, that's really underrated. And for, for teachers looking to, you know, develop their side hustle or possibly to transition to a different career, you know, don't underplay how good you are with groups of people and probably first up is to actually realize it because even as you're talking mm. i'm thinking about it and reflecting and realize, yeah, that's a good point actually this is just stuff that you feel you have to do as a teacher because it's what teachers do but they these are discrete skills in their own right let's 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 park that but totally come back to mm. it in the second half yeah and let's jump over to um one of our two special features which is uh, is it worth it where me and Chris uh, furiously debate an aspect of educational orthodoxy. <laughs> Should it be orthodox, though? Who knows? Mm. Um, Chris, the topic today is, is it worth it to cultivate uh, an image of being a strict teacher mm. in terms of your grading and in terms of your expectations and the behavior? So is it worth cultivating the image that you are a strict teacher? I'm asking this because mm. if anybody, when, when people find out that I'm a teacher, the first thing they, act, they say is, oh, are you strict? Are you a strict teacher? So this is the, apparently the, this is what people want to know. So is it worth it? Let me toss the coin. Okay. There it goes. Okay, eagles up. Chris, you're arguing against this time. I'm arguing for. Okay. okay. So whew, this could be tricky. Um, we should say to <laughs> listeners, yeah. I argue for, Chris argues against. It's not necessarily what we believe. At the end, we will reveal our true... <laughs> Um, our true ideas. Well, I'll, I'll kick it off while you get some Thank ideas. Thank goodness together. for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, clearly, uh, we're learning in the 21st century. You know, it's not. We're not in Dickensian times anymore. You know, we're not working in schools where we've got single desks, where we've got huge blackboards at the front, where we've got uh, where we can kind of, you know. Uh, have these sanctions on students and you know in the olden days there were physical sanctions mm. you know students were literally scared because they didn't want to be in physical pain mm. Mm. um at the end of the lesson and a lot of teaching i see these days teaching approaches you know these kind of macho in my opinion slightly ego driven teachers you know they're still in the 20th century or even even the 19th century some of them and the fact is you know culturally socially things have moved on we're dealing with young people who have not had that kind of harsh discipline uh in the home and uh, in the school and they're young people who can get this learning elsewhere anyway they can get it off youtube whatever you're going to teach them they can get it off there anyway so we've got to completely realign uh, our mindset here it's all about facilitation and any attempt at strictness or imposing authority <clears throat> These days, it's going to be hugely counterproductive. It might it might help you for two weeks, but three, four weeks into term, you're going to be taking up a completely different approach. 
You make some valid points, Chris, but I have a few points <laughs> of my own, uh, two really. Um, my first point is that uh, it's all very well being a cool, down-with-it teacher, but it's always more difficult to um, move your discipline to a more disciplined state than it is to relax discipline. Um, if you need to relax mm. discipline, that's that's always easy. You can always take the break off, smile a little bit, add a joke, fine. But what about when you need, for whatever reason, you need to increase the level of discipline? Um, your learners will not thank you if when they arrive at the assessment, the summative assessment, at the end of the module, they realize you've not prepared them that well because they spent a lot of the time chatting because they didn't really focus and you did <laughs> not take corrective action during the semester. It's not your mm. fault that they're chatting, that they're not focused, but your lack of control and discipline leaves them underprepared and they will blame you ultimately. It's, it's on you to control their learning. And that doesn't only mean creating engaging tasks that they'll automatically be really into. It also means um, ensuring a level of discipline because you can't always deliver the, the best teaching in the world. For whatever reason, you, some tasks mm. are not inherently not as interesting as other tasks, which means you need to inculcate in them a level of discipline to apply themselves for their own good. And mm. it's very difficult if you realize you've lost the control and you're, and you're not really getting the focus you need to get that back is very hard. Mm. Mm. And it's much easier mm. to have a level of discipline maintained. And maybe it might seem a little bit excessive. There'll be some times where you could probably just take your foot off the brake. But then once you once you ring that bell, you can't unring it and you can't <laughs> row back to um to a state of, of, of better focus. What do you think about that? Well, I absolutely agree that discipline is an important part of learning. But for me, you know, the discipline isn't imposed by the teacher, you've got to be more of a kind of role model and you've got to be more of a motivator here. And you have got to be, yep, I agree, absolutely on it when the learners aren't quite demonstrating the right attitude. But that doesn't mean ranting and raving. It doesn't mean shouting. You know, it it, it doesn't mean uh, humiliating your students. It can be as simple as a quiet intervention with somebody in some group work. It could be as simple as a piece of online feedback, you know, because a, lo a lot of teachers are using uh, online mechanisms these days to quickly get feedback to teachers. So I'm not advocating a lack of discipline. I'm saying the way we deliver that discipline, the way we deliver that message, the way we create the environment, you know, we can't do that in kind of, um, we can't impose that. We've got to be more of a role model. T uh, the students can see that we're doing it ourselves. And we've got to find ways to communicate with the students in, you know, just a more professional uh, and adult and effective manner. My concern with this, although it makes a lot of sense what you're saying, my concern is that, um, and this was the second point I mentioned earlier, if we look at the world today with lots of content being available on YouTube, highly individualised experience of media with, with every student, they choose the social networks, the channels that they want to access, everything's kind of based around their own um, ideas and their own preferences, how they want to experience the world. Um, this is great, but it's also very dangerous. We hear about echo chambers all the time, people only hearing what they mm. want to hear, developing a worldview purely based on algorithms from, from, from social networks, delivering content they want to listen to. Your role as the teacher in the 21st century is a little bit to court, uh, to go back to the 20th century, even the 19th century, and provide a... Um, objective level an objective experience which does not cater for every individual student's individual preference because the world doesn't actually cater for it the social media world maybe does 
and the way people experience the media through their phones. But um, when they go out to work, when they actually apply the skills that you're giving them, they'll suddenly be confronted with differing views and different people, and it won't be mm. all about them. And I, my concern with your advocate, uh, you advocating this um, softly, softly, softly approach where you go into a personal intervention here, so that's just replicating this idea that the world mm. is built around them <laughs> and their preferences. And I think our job as a teacher is actually to be a little bit Dickensian about it and maybe mm. offer a situation where you say, to be honest, the world isn't quite about you, at least not the real world. When you go outside mm. and you've got to get a job or you've got to work as a team or you've got to um, motivate people to, to get this product launch done in time, even though they don't really want to. Um, mm. And maybe the leveling effect of, of 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 imposing that that discipline, imposing like a like a reality check, and saying I'm not going to go and mm. I don't care what 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 personal excuse yeah. you have. That's not how the world is. Maybe maybe that's mm. something that we actually have to do in the 21st century. Mm. And help you know because these um, young people have come from environments where well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about the millennial generation mm. here, and you know people people talk kind of uh, disparagingly about the millennial generation, but, um, you know, we are the people and people slightly senior to us anyway are people who raised the millennial generation, you know, so we can't be, <laughs> yeah. we can't really be blaming them. We're, we're only really blaming ourselves, mm. but yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I'm always interested in um, the gap between, uh, so the skill set that students have, when they leave education and the skill sets that students actually need mm. in the workplace. And I think at the moment, there's just a huge gap yeah. between those two, which is why we have things like gap schemes. And I have this idea about your adolescence is in your twenties these days, yeah. because in your teenage years, um, all of the choices you make are kind of, kind of predetermined, although this might be a privileged kind of middle-class mm. view, but mm. there's 60% of people going to university these days mm. it's only it's only in the 20s where you go through this process of like your world thinking actually my worldview doesn't work mm. in this world and i'm really kind of realigning realigning your beliefs maybe and going through some tough some tough lessons so you know i i do i do agree that as a teacher um you know given that we're dealing with um kids who've had you know trophies for finishing in eighth place <laughs> yeah all, all of their life you know we have to deliver we have to deliver a um difficult but important message that's going to help transition them to the real world mm. i think we can reveal our true uh, attitudes to this question now um of should you cultivate this image of a strict teacher um uh, the coin gave me the harder task there of arguing that you that you should be strict and um, mm. but as ever with these things, you as you're saying it, you realise that you do kind of slightly agree with what you're saying. I mean, I mean, my instinct is to say, um, uh, as as I believe we discussed a couple <coughs> of podcasts ago, your authority um, and your agency as a teacher needs to be derived from the learning that you facilitate, not derived from a power a power distance relationship that you emphasize mm. with your learners. Um, and so I'm not into this idea of when people say, well, so are you a strict teacher? I'm like, well, what, 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 what do you mean? I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm strict I'm strict in that I want them to take the learning seriously. Like very serious. I'm very strict about them, about them um, getting the task done and, mm. and, trying to really get involved because but then i i don't justify that by saying and that's because i'm a strict teacher it's because i take learning seriously because otherwise we're wasting our time mm. 
they've they're, 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 you know with limited amount of hours we have to to do our stuff before we um we're gone from this planet and you need to make the most of it and i'm not interested in in people coming up and then you know giving 40 percent and going home not learning anything it's not fair for them they may as well stay at home and do something else so the strictness comes from the respect for the learning process and of course respecting the learning of others which is a classic teacher line but it's, you can use that and i use sometimes say well you know you may not be really into this but you're kind of negatively mm. impacting on the learning of the other people in your group by so you know think about them as well um yeah. but i think the idea that, that you need to inherently intrinsically be a strict person or then i think that's mm. that's outdated it's not really yeah i think if we move the concept of strict of strictness you know away from the person i mean i think no one wants to be a strict teacher but you're absolutely right we do want to be strict about um the messages we're delivering about how to learn mm. You know, we are we are strict and disciplined about about those. Yeah. And you know, that doesn't mean uh, you know, uh, sanctions or sending people out of the room, but it just means gently and persistently, consistently yeah. uh reinforcing those 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 messages. I agree. Okay, so let's just return then to our main topic, which is um, how can teaching interface on the broader aspect of our lives, working under the assumption that a lot of people listening to this, teaching will only be one part of their professional, um, their career, and also their life in general. Now, we we stopped off with you, Chris, saying that the communication skills, presentation skills, confidence in mm. speaking to an audience is um, a massively underrated skill that you have to generate as a teacher. I completely agree. But then you also mm. pointed out the ability to weave ideas together on the fly, essentially. So because mm. you're used to doing them, I mean, if you're engaging in Socratic dialogue that we discussed last week, then you're very used to getting not fully formed ideas back from students, trying to bind them together with something else that you have in your mind, throwing it back to the students. And it should make you a good audience-focused presenter and a good public speaker. And... If you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, really, am I? Then I'm telling you, you are. You are. by, by mm. Teaching requires you to do it and, and, and you can do it in other places. So don't forget about that. Don't underestimate those skills. What I'm interested in now is um, your views, Chris, on how teaching creates a kind of a sixth sense for group dynamics and... Mm the sensitivities of different people and how they are perceiving a given situation. Because I find that this is something mm. which um, which I've noticed uh, is, is an uncontrollable now element of me and, and my life generally. But I don't want to yep. say whether I think it's good, positive or negative. I just want mm. your... So your ability to perceive... the how the group dynamics of a given situation are developing and how mm. that has... a been affected by your experience as a teacher <laughs> do you have yeah a, i mean yeah. that explicitly is not something that i've reflected on mm. you know not not using the words and concepts there but i can give one example which is <laughs> if you're on a night out <laughs> and you've got you've got say you've got three people are out it's you and two other people mm. having a great time going to a few bars and then and then someone's like I'm going to invite this guy down. Mm. Or I'm going to invite this girl along. I'm going to invite this person along. Now, 
I I'm always really worried about that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I can't I can't explain this without sounding antisocial <laughs> and unfriendly. But you bring one more person in, mm. the whole dynamic changes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And but reflecting on it, I've never reflected on this before, just kind of on the fly. Mm. We know this from organizing group work. Yeah. And if you, uh, you know, change the group numbers from three to four or from four to five, mm. that is going to have um, an effect on the dynamics of each group, you know, mm. probably, probably a detrimental effect as the group's getting bigger, although not necessarily. Mm. Mm. And if you've got lots of bigger groups, then that's going to affect the whole, the whole classroom dynamic. So, so I think, it, but just when we're teaching generally, we're always, well, if you're a good teacher anyway, you're always getting feedback from the students. You know, how are they responding to this? Mm. And you know, it's something I really struggled with at the beginning, that students don't give you any much in terms of uh, live feedback. Mm. They will just look at you. Mm. They might be looking out the window. They might be on, the, on their phone. Mm. But then, then I was thinking, hang on, when I was in a lecture, mm. um, I would just like stare blankly. Mm. But if, even if I was having, you know, really... Um, if, even if I was really interested. So it certainly tunes you into, it, it raises your empathy, I think. And, and it means you're, you get very good at just picking up little, little reactions, you know, body language, little physical reactions, whatever it might be to, to, to whatever you're saying. And um, so, so I think um, it certainly improves those skills, you know, kind of reading a situation and uh, working with groups of people. Yeah. But what what were you getting at specifically, Steve? Uh, literally, exactly what you were just talking about. Um, okay, this, cool, cool. This ability, this, <laughs> you, you end up um, whether you like it or not, you develop a a sixth sense for feeling who in a group is not quite getting it or not quite enjoying it or slightly. Mm. And and it it sounds great. It sounds like well, that's good. So yeah, like you say, you're better at reading group situations. You're better at judging group dynamics. But you can't turn it off. And it means that if you go out mm. go out for dinner with some friends or you get some <laughs> friends over, you're in a group of people, you find yourself becoming acutely aware, or I, I find this, uh, more aware than I even want to be of the different dynamics of the group, uh, the group in any given situation. And it, it makes you feel controlling because mm. you start thinking about whether she or he is having, and maybe it's a problem there. And you start really saying, oh my God, I'm supposed to be having dinner with my friends. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally... <laughs> looking at them as, as my learners right now which is not yeah. which is not the vibe you want at all and then you become worried and paranoid that it's manifesting itself in your behavior that that when mm. they when you're talking to them they, they think like is he trying to actually like under the radar teach me something here yeah and we all see differentiating this discussion yeah, for me well, somewhere and you have this and you have, i mean no one really wants to be i mean being a teacher is all good in that but you need to be able to turn it off and, and I, don't, I think i don't know if about mm. other people listening mm. to this but i'm always worried that i have a very teacherly uh attitude to, to, to my friends and then it would be pretty annoying i i, I think I, but it's 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 difficult to to turn, and then you you end you end up then over overcompensating for it, and that feels mm. awkward. And I mm. think it's um mm. it's it's a double edged sword. You have this enhanced awareness of of a very very subtle nonverbal cues because, like you said, students are 
I mean, you didn't want to be the student when you were thinking back to your own school days or, or, or university days. Listen, you didn't want to be the student furiously nodding, being like really, really, yeah. in, really keen. No one wanted to do that. <laughs> so, so generally speaking, if, if anything, you're holding back on your reactions, which means that as a teacher, you become incredibly, whether you want to or not, you become very, very attuned to very subtle things. And then in the evening, mm. you're, you mm. can't, you can't turn it off. And I mm. find it, I find it, I think it's a good thing. I think it's good to have this skill. Um, but I haven't figured out a way to be able to relax and, and just turn it off. Because mm. I think once it's there, it's there. <laughs> and do you think to some extent, um, you know, people working in business and stuff are, are also developing this skill, you know, uh, uh, you know, in meetings and in day-to-day -day interactions with colleagues, customers, whoever it might be? Yes. Um, do you th or, or is it or is it something different? Maybe working with young people? it's you know there's a there's a real imperative on that I, I don't know but i think to some extent everybody is developing a general skill of kind of reading groups and uh, or or maybe not because there's some people in business who 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 really only some people but really don't care a huge amount about what other people think and there's some people whose job it is to not care about what other people think you know to push ideas forward and stuff so I don't know. I think it's the fact that these skills are seen as inherent and um, unquestioned in teaching. You simply have to have them, and it's mm. not just—it's it, it, not just important. It's not just like an, an, an additional bonus if you can read the group. It is considered absolutely essential that you read the group, and you are responsible. I think that—I think that's maybe the, the, the key. I mean, I, I've spent portions of my life not in the classroom doing other kinds of work as well and i don't want to for a minute suggest that nobody else has to be aware of emotionals mm. and, and 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 group dynamics but i think when you're in the classroom you the expectation is that you not only understand it but you are responsible for the learner's experience um in the time that they're with you and that means mm. that there's an there's a level of accountability i think which um which sharpens this for me mm. and where i think sure. where i think it's not so much oh if you manage to re read the room well bonus well done it's more like mm. no you got it if you fail to do that you have failed your <laughs> learners and you are not being a proper teacher and mm. that's what makes it a little bit more brutal in 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 my experience mm. And um, it, it, it's not, it's not, it's not a bonus. It's a, it's a prerequisite, and yet it remains an extremely sure, difficult sure. thing to do, which feeds into your into your private life and can and which is also one of the most exhausting elements of um, of spending the day teaching is that you spend the whole time involuntarily, but having to really be monitoring all these tiny signals and trying to work, figure out why the person at the back isn't quite into it and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. So I think it's that's something that I've I've noticed I've like, never really gone away as an as an issue for me this this over oversensitivity essentially being too sensitive to to group dynamics maybe then overinterpreting them and then leaving yourself in a situation where you're having to police your own um, attitude to maybe vocalizing the fact that you've noticed a certain person feeling mm. a certain way and then mm. and then being worried that you that they think you're a teacher. Do you think what we need is is a coping strategy or a technique for switching off? Maybe, yes, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe that's what we need. Maybe I could see people listening to this and, and thinking that mm. that you know we we just need a way to switch off mm. or to 
I, I suggest the answer lies within what, what you were always talking about in the first half, which is making your teaching sustainable. And mm. and what I was saying in the first half, I should maybe listen to my own advice, trying to get away from this idea that you are the sole saviour and conduit of, mm. of the learning. And, yeah. and as always, keeping it metacognitive, we like to do that on this podcast, you talk mm-hmm. to your students about what's going on. And you you yep. make it a topic of the lesson that you are trying to watch them and monitor, and that they should be also monitoring their own involvement, reflecting on why mm. they're why they're feeling distracted and, and trying to work out, and then working within their groups at that meta level as well. So considering their own motivation and their own sense of challenge, and and also getting the challenge and support levels um, right, so that. You say to your learners, you know, I cannot be watching every single one of you, every single moment of time and jumping. Mm. I can't be like a superhero <laughs> jumping in there. The moment you feel a tiny little lack of motivation, I'm there to get you. You can't put that on me and I can't do it. You need to, I need to, uh, um, what's the word? I need to devolve this power yeah. and this responsibility to you. I'm going to do my best to keep mm. an overview, and I'm very, very, but you need to self-manage this. It. And that that's how that's how it ultimately needs to be. As always, it's... Devol- Go on, Chris. Yeah, devolved teaching could be the could be a title for our teaching magnus opus handbook thing. Yeah, devolved devolved learning. That, that's mm. what it ultimately is. You are yeah. That, that's mm. what it comes down to. Not not gathering all the power to yourself and making and, and using that power to determine your authority or your strictness or whatever, but rather devolving it and saying to the learners, "Look, it's not it's not about me. I want you to learn, and you are driving your own learning." And you are also driving your own experience of, the, of this lesson. Mm. It's my job sure. to create create the challenge and to offer the support. Mm. And I mean creating challenge, not just in terms of the subject we're learning, but challenge in terms of the emotions you're going to have to bring to bear here and the amount of resilience, the amount of fortitude you're going to have to show to get this task done. I'm going to provide the mm. challenge, but I'm also going to provide the support. I'm going to provide you with sure. sheets for the, for the subject, but also emotional support to get you through it. But it needs to be mm. a, a two-way street, guys. This is, this is something that we're working on together. Yeah. I'm not like a, pro- I'm not like a service provider so much. Um, mm. Don't just put up your hand and say, I can't do it. Come and come and deliver, mm-hmm. deliver the, the thing. But but try and see it as a process where you where we together can work it out, and maybe then mm. um, you can just take the edge off this obsessive desire to kind of make sure you're monitoring every single person in the room. Sure. And that means that when you have sure. dinner later with your mates, you're not, you know, yeah, crazy. Still, still wired. <laughs> yes, yeah, still wired. Well, you kind of you kind of you kind of managing managing learner expectations down. But as you described it there, you're talking about managing a classroom, a, gu- a group of students. Mm, mm. But you could equally apply that to managing a team. Definitely. You know, managing a team in business. Mm. They're the things, uh, th- the different things you're talking about, getting people uh, to take responsibility, getting people to kind of think on the, on the metacognitive level mm. about, uh, you know, the resources, the personal resources they're going to have to bring. Mm. You know, that's exactly what a good manager would do, uh, I I imagine. Yeah. And hopefully there's people listening who do a bit of teaching and maybe do a bit of work in business who are now seeing mm. those those parallels. If you can do it in the learning space, then you can you can leverage that ability and those skills to make it work um, in whatever else you're doing you're doing in your life. So I think the conclusion needs to be that um that 20-30% of teaching that you're doing wherever you're doing it it is Mm. helping you in the rest of your life and you can maximize that effect by doing everything that we talked about me and chris do it sometimes chris is 
doing it with his, his YouTube channel. So actually, you know, um, leveraging what he's teaching and making it available to everybody. We're doing it with this podcast. Mm. And then I suppose um, making the emotional strain of, of teaching, making it work for you by managing it and trying to make it sustainable so that it can also, mm. that they can become an asset. That's what it needs to be. The, the stuff that you have to go through to make the learning happen, that can become an asset in the rest of your life rather than mm. the 20% of the time you spend teaching draining you because of the realities of the spatial mm. and and temporal aspects of teaching. You've got to be there. The learners are going to be there. Everything else has to fade into the background for that time. You can't let that portion of your life overshadow the rest of it. You need to try and get to a situation mm -hmm. where it's actually fueling um, and energizing you for the rest of the session. It's not easy. It's tough. But I think it is, it's totally an achievable aim and something that ultimately will make us better teachers and happier with the way with the role that teaching plays in our lives however large that role is totally yeah and i echo everything you said there Stephen. i think as teachers certainly in the uk i touched on this earlier on i think this it's been a tough few decades and i do think the status of the profession has kind of dropped a bit and i i'm sure it's underpaid mm. and you know that's the reason why you're in berlin now steve to be fair so i think i want teachers to understand that they have distinct advantages over people who are in business you know generally speaking you know and we've touched on what some of those might be so you know you don't want to go around boasting about it but you know leverage that you know leverage the fact that you can do public speaking leverage the fact that you can understand group situations well that you can organize things you know teachers you know tend to be modest and you know and have a lot of humidity now those are both powerful things and they have their place definitely but make make sure you're doing your little bit little bit of self-promotion but it's not even self-promotion you know all you've got to do is get your message out there and i'd suggest doing that using uh doing online content in some way you know things that seem very easy to you how to do a good presentation mm. how to set up a group activity are a complete mystery to the people who might benefit. So you are bringing unique value to them. Do not uh, underestimate yourself. Do not under underestimate your skills. Get out there and make something happen. Absolutely. So there you go, folks. A more discursive uh, podcast, a little bit less focused on uh, some theoretical aspect of education. We want to try and mix it up and keep it, keep it um, relevant to you guys. If you have comments for us, then head over to Podbean, search us uh, alone up front. You can find us there, leave comments on each podcast. The podcast is also available on iTunes and Stitcher and all the other podcast places. To round us off then today, take us home. What about a top tip, Chris? A top tip that Ooh. you can use in today or tomorrow's teaching. It's a simple one this week. Two words. The top 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 tip is buy some magnets. Okay, three words. Mm. Get oh yes, buy, buy magnets. I have now. Well, I think I've got thirty five little magnets in a little bag that I carry in my my main bag. Why do you need magnets to teaching for teaching? What, what's your thinking, Chris? Have you got any ideas? Or do, yeah. do you have magnets? Do you use them? I've got. Yeah, I've got. I'm actually showing one to the camera here. I don't know if. Uh, We'll ever see these recordings, but I've got I've got a couple of couple of magnets I'm just showing to the camera now. Absolutely, uh, last year these were not, we, these were a lifesaver. Had a situation where students were doing a little group activity and they were writing something on um, on a piece of uh, flip chart paper 
and I just wanted to display that to the class. You don't want to do the thing where you're trying to hold it up and point things out. Work. And not going to work. That's that's too that's involved teaching. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's too much effort. Mm. Get some magnets, stick it on the whiteboard, mm. and you can talk about it. No stress at all. Yeah. Um, if you, I, I've had situations just when students were were doing some writing. Um, and you want to disseminate that writing quickly and easily so everyone can see it, but it's on paper, you have to go out and copy it or something. Maybe you've got students all with laptops, it's all good, you can post it on a learning platform, but we didn't have that. So you grab the four pieces of writing, you stick them on the board, take a photo with my phone, and upload the photo to our learning mm. platform. Then all the all, all the students can read it then on their phones, and they can, because thankfully, smartphones are pretty good nowadays, you can take a photo and zoom in, and if you have four pieces of A4... If they are Brilliant. arranged properly, you can take the photo. I know you could do that by putting them on the desk and then taking a photo mm -hmm. from above, but there won't be a desk big enough for that. The desk will also be covered with all the, the, the students' stuff and drinks and pencil cases yeah. and whatnot. You need to be able to put it on the board. And of course, once it's up on the board, then your next bit of teacher chat where you're talking about the strengths, you can you can point at it. Like you said, you're not holding it up. You can point yeah. at it and you have the space to, to, to move around because you had the magnets mm. there. Um, Love it. And the, Love the it. point with magnets is you... Uh, people listening right now are thinking, yeah, but what would I use them for? D don't think about that. They're not expensive. Sure. Buy them, mm. just buy 10 or buy 20, and you will find yourself using them in ways that you didn't didn't realize. What you don't realize right now, folks, is you have figured out ways of teaching without magnets, and mm. you have figured out um, <laughs> ways of solving problems that would not arise if you had magnets, and you could quickly put stuff on a, on a surface. All whiteboards are magnetic. You'd be amazed at how many magnetic metal things there are. You can put, um, you can also put stuff on the frames of doors. Door frames are normally metal in institutions, mm. um, and it means that you can also integrate a kinesthetic element into your teaching. We may, or some say, talk about this auditive learning, visual kinesthetic is when you associate learning with movement, and um, mm -hmm. it's just fun for first. For learners who are maybe sat there for two hours or even longer if they have to get up and take their work to the front and they have to put it on a board mm. um or how about this you want to um um you have a matrix of some description so you have a vertical and a horizontal and you're talking about different things so um in one lesson i had recently we had the the um there's a there's a matrix called the um time time pressure you have to organize you have like a long to-do list and there's like the urgency of the task and the importance of the task yeah so how it was a yeah it was an american president how, it, wasn't oh, it so, something like that yeah so how yeah. How, how urgent yeah. is it but then how important is it and you get you mm. give them a, a, a list of things and you think, okay so how will you do this they can do it in groups they can do it individually or they you can say pick three of the things write them on a four piece of paper here's a pen go and stick it on my massive matrix at the front and go and stick it on the board. Love um, it. And Love then it. other yeah. learners can come and they can put theirs on and they can move it around and suddenly you have mm. a full sky. And this is like your human spreadsheet activity. You have an element mm. of people getting up and moving around and, and physically standing and pointing at something. It just opens up the whole lesson. Um, it means that they're not in this kind of passive seating position. They're moving around and mm. it, if you're if you're sometimes struggling in lessons that you think there's a lack of energy and you know it's a bit hot maybe what you need to do is is integrate some movement into it get them up out of their sure. seats that you have to yeah. get the oxygen flowing and this kind of thing can do it but you can only do it if you've got a bag of magnets and you might need to do this on the fly mm -hmm. you might realize oh man they're all drawing lovely matrices mm. in their in their books or whatever let's get a big matrix up front okay and 
it's just it's 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 low hanging fruit, man. It's e- an easy win. Uh, absolutely, easy win. It's, to... it's a controllable. Yeah, definitely. Control those definitely. controllables, and uh, and yeah, and we should do a pod on uh, movements in the classroom. Definitely, I, I love that. Definitely, yeah. definitely. So there you go, folks. Buy some magnets. Get them in like a stationery store or something. Um, you find yourself buying more. You never have enough, by the way. I had 10, then I had 20, now I have about 35. <laughs> and they can get a bit heavy, unfortunately. But um, if you top out around 20, um, you will find yourself using them and they will have brilliant add-on benefits of introducing movement and, and just energy in your lesson. So that is our top tip for this week. Chris, mm. it's been a pleasure once again. Oh, I've loved it. It's another really, you know, I don't know if anybody's listening. I'm I'm getting so much so much out of it just um just just talking about this stuff. It is it is an exercise in metacognition and yes. uh in in reflecting on your practice and I always pick up a few practical tips from you. So hopefully the um listener listeners listener is having a similar similar experience we hope we hope you are folks whenever you're encountering this podcast um we hope you're enjoying listening to it and it's helping you get in touch with us um we're looking out for comments emails um give us ideas for content that we can discuss and wherever whatever you're up to this week uh have a great week of teaching remember that all the stuff you're doing in the classroom could have a reverberation in your wider life Think about how you can make the most of that um, because we want to keep you teaching. If you're teaching alone up front, you can feel like you're on your own, but you're not. There's lots of us doing it and we're all bringing good value, I think, to, uh, through the work that we're doing. So we want you to keep doing it and keep enjoying your teaching and keep affecting great learning. So we'll be back, uh, we'll be back next week. Enjoy your teaching, folks. And as ever, thanks for listening. <laughs>